right now. This series is on the growth stages of a Christian. I want to remind you that God has a positive and powerful uh, program by which we're to grow. It's the stages of life that you grow through, and God has them, and they're always good. Why do I say that? Because all things work together for the good of those who are called. It, it, it all works towards the good. So you might say, this is pretty lousy. This is happening to me, and it's not, not I don't like it. But God's using it for good because He's growing His people into His image and stature. So God uses all of it for the good, for our growth. We are in the third stage of growth. The first stage, if you'll remember, was identification. And that's the first stage that Christian growth begins at, to begin to identify with Christ and I find your identity in Christ and so forth. The second stage we looked at last week was the walk to begin to walk, to pick up your mat and walk. Walk away from what used to be. Walk unto the light. Walk and begin to develop strength in your daily living for Christ. And we saw how many references there were in Scripture concerning walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. So we're developing a walk. Now, as that goes on, and these growth stages, uh, uh, can't, they're not specific Uh, dates and times they move and ebb and flow in our Christian life and uh, some people grow through different stages and some uh, stay in one stage for a really long time (laughs) so we we, they, they fluctuate but I put them in these categories to help you kind of understand what God's doing in your life and the third stage we're at now is a productive life God wants us to be a fruit-bearing people. We want to begin to bear fruit and productivity or life. And that's <coughs> where God is taking us. So, um, if you will, turn to John chapter 15 and let's take a look at what Jesus says concerning our growth and productivity. He says this, in John 15, and I want to read it to you so that we keep things in context. And we're going to start at verse 5. You're very familiar with this, I'm sure. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Can I help you understand something here? Could you imagine Jesus saying this to Israel? You see, we're removed from that context, so we consider this all the time, Jesus talking to people who will follow him. But imagine him saying this to the nation of Israel, to people who are Jews, And he's saying to the Jews, you need to abide in me, Jesus. And Israel, if you will not abide in me, you will die and you will be cut off and thrown in the fire. You see the context? It's a pretty heavy statement. And he's saying, therefore, you must abide in me, which is Jesus, Messiah. All salvation flows through him. And so this isn't just a teaching to his people, but when you consider it a teaching to Israel, it's in fact a warning. 
You need to understand who's talking to you, and that Messiah is here speaking to you, and he says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit by abiding in me, Jesus. That's radical. Does that help you understand the the impact of what he's saying? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my what? Love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now there's two things he's mentioned here that we know later Paul's going to mention. Joy and love. Right? So if you abide in Jesus, there is a byproduct to that abiding in Him. Those byproducts to abiding in Him, He's named two of them, are what? Love and joy. This is the byproduct of abiding in Him, staying in the vine. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that they lay down their lives for the friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded. I no longer call you my servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you, appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask. This is my command. Love each other. You will bear fruit and fruit that will last. So the first thing that God wants from, Jesus wants from his disciples is fruit. And reading that passage in context, what is the fruit that will last? Love. Love. We need to learn how to love like Jesus loves. We have a problem in the church, brothers and sisters. We think that if we obey the commands of Jesus, in other words, we tithe, We go to church, we pray a certain amount of hours a day, and study our Bible. See what I'm saying? Is this producing the fruit? If it's not producing a loving heart and a loving attitude as Jesus' heart, we're not producing the fruit of the vine. We have turned the sense of abiding in the vine and being his disciples as being productive and attached to the vine because we believe in Jesus. Good for you, you believe in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus. Are they producing the love, the fruit of the vine? And in context, that's exactly what he's talking about. That you would lay your life down for each other. You would love as you have been loved. And this is how they'll know you are my disciples if you love one another. So really, the indicator of a productive, fruitful life of Christianity is to love like Jesus loves. Now that's not an easy thing. We've got to figure out how to do that. We've got to study the love of Jesus, the life of Jesus. How did he treat people? How did he respond to people? But this is what the productive Christian life must produce. He says, I want you to produce fruit that what? lasts. Now, what is fruit that doesn't last? Rotten, right? It rots. Fruit that does not last 
rots. Once it rots, then there's all sorts of flies that fly around it and make it yucky and stinky. There is a fruit. Now, while I was doing this study, I found a fruit that lasts, I think, for eternity. See, rotten fruit is bad. But the fruit that I think lasts for eternity is fruitcake. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? They say it's fruit. I don't think it's fruit. I don't know what it is. They call it fruitcake because they have token raisins in there. But I don't know what the red things and the green things are. But I couldn't help it. I had to say that. Fruit that doesn't last rots. Jesus says you need to abide in me so that you don't rot and don't get rotten, don't spoil. This fruit should be alive. It should be present in our lives. And so what happens in the Christian life is as you're beginning to walk in Jesus, beginning to learn of the Lord, there should be a byproduct or fruitfulness that's coming out of your walk. And there are many Christians who do the Christian stuff, but the question is, are you productive? And what's happened in our society is we've been trained how to be consumers not producers. God called us to be producers. He wired us and physically made us to be producers. It's interesting to me when I was studying Genesis just a couple weeks ago, and I began to see that where the curse came was on the seed bearing, the production. It's where the enemy, and it caused the cursing, because it says the woman in her childbearing will be under a curse of pain. And the man in his cultivating seed and working in the ground will be cursed in that effort. Both of those are seeds, seed efforts, reproductive. For the man, it was reproductive in the earth. For the woman, it was reproductive of, of the generations. So it's in that productivity that we are attacked and that we are under the curse. And we are, Christ came to restore productivity to the people. We're to bear a fruit that the curse had caused us to be uh, struck down in. And the enemy comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. What? Our productivity. Our life. Christ came to give us life and life what? Abundantly. So as Christians, we are to be producing joy, producing love, producing care, producing mercy, producing the very essence and nature of Father God out of our being. And so that's the third stage is to begin a productive Christian life. A life where we begin to share the nature of Jesus. Well, how do I share the nature of Jesus? He put His nature in you. And that's where I come to the next portion. Holiness. Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as believers, we're starting to produce these attributes. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit, their byproduct. We spend so much time trying to eliminate the bad fruit, we don't cultivate good fruit. 
And I would encourage you, begin to cultivate the good fruit, and you're, not gonna, you're gonna be able to walk away from the bad fruit. Begin to cultivate life. Christian life is not always fighting your failures, it's progressing into producing new things, new life, a new joy. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Do you remember Paul said this? Because to Israel, it was all about the law, what legal ramifications and regulations of don't eat this and don't eat that and dietary laws, right? And uh, what you can drink, what you can't drink. He said it's not meat and drink. It is what? Joy and righteousness. Love, joy, and righteousness in the kingdom. And what he's saying is that's the nature of God. That's the kingdom. Joy and righteousness is the kingdom. And so as a Christian, as we're learning to walk in Christ, we've been identified in Him now. We are learning to walk now and move away from our mat. We've picked it up. We're leaving sin behind. We're moving forward. And now we're becoming productive to the kingdom of God. We like to be productive uh, in our own pursuits. God wants us to be productive in His pursuits. We have a new frame of reference, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Tim, or the kingdom of Bill, or the kingdom of Julie, or the kingdom of you. God didn't give us this life so that we would build our own kingdoms. There's one kingdom, His. And so it's the pursuit of holiness. Oh, holiness, boy, now you're getting legalistic on me, talking about holiness. And, and I've shared this message with you, and I'll continue to share it, and I want you to share it with other people. But we're talking about fruit and the byproduct of fruit. And I've shared this with you a million times, so get these answers right. What is the fruit of an apple tree? You're good, you're good. What is the fruit of a grapevine? Ooh, this is good. So what is the byproduct of an orange? Orange juice. I should have said an orange tree. Sorry, but you guys figured it out. The byproduct of an orange (laughs) tree is an orange. That's where I was supposed to go with this. All right, so fruit is the byproduct of the nature of that thing. And so when we're in Galatians 5 and it says, the fruit of the Spirit, what is fruit? A byproduct. So the byproduct of having the Holy Spirit in us is love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, goodness, right? All those things. And so what is the byproduct or the nature of the Holy Spirit? Holiness. So this is actually, the fruit of the Spirit is a definition of holiness. Holiness is not what you don't do. Holiness is producing the nature of Christ in your life. What we have done as the church is we said, if you want to be holy, stop drinking, stop cussing, stop dancing, stop carousing, and stop going to these places, and then you'll be holy. No, you won't. You'll be in your house alone. It's good to stay away from those things, but that doesn't produce holiness. What produces holiness? The nature of the Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, self-control. That's holiness? That's holiness. I like holiness. Who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want joy 
in their lives. Who doesn't want peace? Do you understand that all of mankind is craving holiness? They're craving holiness. All the lost are hungry for self-control. They're hungry for something good. They want to have joy and they want to have peace. And they don't know that what they want is holiness or the nature of God himself. And so we who carry that very nature and all that fruit on us, the world can't wait for us to bring it to them. Well, they can. They, they just don't see it. And they're not getting that from us. What they're getting from us is, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. If we could begin to bring them what Christ brought to us, they wouldn't need to do that and do this and do that and do that. So we want to bring a message and we want to bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. I'm not saying look away from sin. Identify sin. But you have something they need. Bring them something that will satisfy better than sin. The very nature of God. And so this is what's happening to us. We're beginning to produce the nature of God in our lives. Not that we're God. Of course we're not God. But God dwells in me. And if the Holy Spirit dwells in me, He's producing holiness, godliness. And what is that fruit that he's producing? I read it to you in Galatians 5. And this is what the third stage, if you will, I've put it in stages. Again, it comes and goes and flows in our lives and continues to grow all through our lives. But, and I'm hoping you're expanding the, the, the limbs of your tree connected to Jesus so that This very fruit of God's Spirit is continuing to grow and and develop so that this is what people recognize in you. The nature of Jesus. Begin to see, wow, why do you walk with such peace? How do you do this? Walk with peace. Well, I'm connected to the Prince of Peace. This vine is connected right to, to God's love. How can you love the unlovable? I don't like this kind of person. I don't like that kind of person. I'm connected to a vine that is producing a fruit of love in me that I could extend to anyone, really. And so this is the Christian life. We begin to move in holiness. We begin to understand what holiness is. It is productive. It's exciting. It produces things. It makes living things. That's exciting, isn't it? You walk into the room, joy just showed up. The joy of the kingdom. Strength just walked into this place. How can you tell? Well, Bob came in the room. There's something about him. When he walks in the room, there's a sense of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, self-control. What is it about that guy? He's bearing the fruit of Christ. This is what God wants. He wants this fruitful vine to cultivate and grow in our lives. And that's holiness, brothers and sisters. That's why Jesus died, so that He could cleanse us of sin and put His Spirit in us so that He could produce the very fruit of His nature in us. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. We never get past the cross. 
I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, against the cross or anything, but Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> Let's go this way. The whole reason he died was so that you would produce the very nature of God in your life. Wow. Be productive. Take dominion. Multiply and produce fruit. That's what God wants to do. We have become God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Does anybody know that verse? Good works. Not fair works. That term good works are, is good from the Father. A good work that from the very nature of God. Good works. God works. He said, we are not saved by our works, are we? Now, there's the reference, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. Right? All right. So that no man could boast about it. Right? We're not going to get to heaven. And many of us think this way. We're going to get to heaven and it's like, you know what, I'd like to be just last in line on this uh, judgment seat of Christ. I, and please, don't put me behind Paul. And we have this sense that when our works get tried by fire, there's going to be some folks going like this. <laughs> no. No man will boast. No man will boast. No man will boast over what has been accomplished or what's been done because it's all the very fruit of God's Spirit growing in us. And we've become His workmanship. And, and I love that. And, and God is shaping us and changing us and moving in us. And so we are to do good works. We are to become productive. That's what I want to encourage you in. When you're now growing in this stage of your Christianity, you're starting to reach out. You're starting to affect people's lives. You're starting to touch people's lives. You're praying for people. You're caring for people. You're, you're bringing food to people. You're emptying your pockets for people. You're helping people up. You're saying, staying with sick people. You're, you're doing whatever you need to do to show the love and the fruit of Christ. It's not about how big of an audience you preach to. It's not about whether you have a radio show, TV show, cable network, or anything else. Those aren't the works that display Christ's love. It's what you do to your neighbor. How many times did Jesus preach this about the neighbor? Why was Jesus so hung up about a neighbor? So that he would just produce his love to that neighbor? These are the works of a productive Christian life. The works of a productive Christian life is to produce love, joy, peace, gentleness. This is staying right in the vine of Christ and what's flowing out of Jesus is flowing to you producing these good works. We're not saved by them, but because we're saved, we produce them. Does that make sense to you? Okay, now Paul, in fact, even commands people, the church, he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, Timothy, command your people to do good works, to be rich in good works. 
What's he say? Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And what's he say? In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. You see, what happens is when we begin to produce life out of the Spirit, it is eternal life. It has eternal value. It, it carries with you into the heavenly realm and the new earth. What is being shaped in me from Christ, His love in me, His peace in me, His joy in me, is being stored up in me unto eternity. You know, he said you can't take it with you. That's all this physical stuff. But all the spiritual stuff you take with you. All that you've grown in Christ, you take with you. And it lays up, as Paul says, and I don't understand the, the ramifications of this, but he says it lays up a foundation of treasure in heaven. I, I, now, I don't understand what that all means. And it might mean at that seat where we are, our works are revealed by fire that gold, silver, precious stones, and in the end, you know what we do? We cast our crowns before God, and we say, thank you for doing this in me. But we've become his workmanship, so this is part of the Christian walk. You are commanded through Paul, we are all commanded to do good works, to be rich in good deeds. What are those good deeds? What is this wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the judgment seat for believers. It's not a judgment as to whether you'll be saved or not. It's a judgment of what did you do with my spirit in you? What did you produce with my nature dwelling in you? Now, what's he looking to produce in us? We've just been through this. His nature. That's what he's looking for us to produce. The good works he's calling us to do. Remember we said fruit that lasts. And in context, what was that fruit he kept talking about? Love. Joy. There's the fruit that lasts. This is the stuff of the good works. These are the being rich in good works is producing his nature in our simple good works and attitude. Stand behind someone in line. They're 50 cents short for their burger. They don't know what to do. You pull out 50 cents and say, God bless you. Because I was short more than 50 cents with God. <laughs> and God gave me what I lacked. So I have an attitude now. Wherever I can fill in where someone lacks, that's grace. That's good works. Ooh, do I get brownie points in heaven? No, I'm displaying the very nature of Christ to someone. That's fulfilling. See, that's the richness that is the fruitfulness of God's own nature. This is kind of fun. This is kind of cool. This is kind of like every day wherever I'm at, I can begin to bear the very nature of Christ to someone. Right? And be kind to someone. To be loving, to be gentle, to be patient. Right? Now, you've got to fight against a nature that has been taught to be like this world. Right? Don't you? Is anybody in this fight? I'm in this fight. And so we've become His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, this is what's happening in this growth stage of Christianity. You're beginning 
to discover the very nature of God in you, the fruit of His Holy Spirit. You're beginning to share it with other people despite how you feel and despite your attitude. You're just gushing with the fruit of Jesus. You're giving it. How many of you know gum called gushers? You ever see the gum called gushers? That's what we should be, gushers. And uh, this world clamps down on us. We gush Jesus. And we care for people. And so that's what's happening. Now, how many of you remember when that kicked in in your Christian life? You began to activate that. You began to find a love for people that you really didn't like. But you knew, I needed to do this. You remember in your, in your Christian growth, you began to, to do these things. You began to be a little more patient with people. You began to produce some good works. I'm going to do this for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to care for this pe- person. Or I'm going to bless them. How many of you remember doing this? Has this started to kick in in people's lives? Three of you. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Five. Okay, good. We got the balcony covered. Adam, go to the balcony. You'll be loved up there, brother. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. Now, this is what's happening in us. You see, that's why I'm saying that everything that God has is good for us in our Christian growth. Now, now it's got to fight against that flesh nature, but this is what's being produced in you and I. Despite ourselves... God is producing by His Holy Spirit that lives in us His very nature and fruit. And it's bubbling up. Now you can suppress it. You can choose not to give it away. But God wants you to and He'll keep pressing you on it. Now, let me tell you some of the dangers of this. In any Christian growth, there's a danger because we steward it. Right? It's got to come through our will. God does not force you to do this. His Spirit lives in you, but it always has to come through your will. And so there's dangers with this. And let me share with you some of the dangers. One of them is weariness. Because you get you know, pretty excited about what's going on. You love Jesus with all your heart. And you're pursuing God and you're doing what's right and and you're expecting everybody else in the church world to do what's right and you're all doing what's supposed to be right but it doesn't seem like they're doing it right. And you press in, you press in. You just want to love the world like Jesus loved the world. You just want to be joyful like Jesus was joyful. They keep crushing your party. They don't appreciate the love you're trying to give them. They don't appreciate any of this and you become what? Weary. Weary in well-doing. And Paul recognized that, and Paul is speaking to that. Paul, the same man who commanded everybody to do good works, he says, I understand. And he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in what? Due season, you will reap a harvest. What happens if you get so weary you stop. You forfeit the harvest. You forfeit the harvest. So let me ask you this. Who would love to abort your harvest? Satan. So he wants to get you weary. He wants to tire you out to the point where he wants to discourage you He wants to accuse you. And he wants to tell you you're better off quitting. 
And then you begin to believe it. I've done everything I was supposed to do. And then what happens when we grow so weary in well-doing? Who do we typically begin to blame? God, I've prayed you haven't answered. I did what I was supposed to do. It's not going right. I know this very well because I speak this and have had done that in my life. How about anybody else here? You know what I'm talking about, okay? So that's because, can I tell you why? We're weary. God knows that. Paul gives us an admonition. Don't give up. Don't give up. Can I encourage you that when you're weary and you don't know where God is and you don't know what he's doing and you don't know why he's not answering, could you just count on his character? You may give up on his timing, but just hold on to his character. And just wait. Having done all to stand, stand. Just stand. Sometimes your, your greatest battle is just standing still. But don't sit down, don't give up, don't abort. Hang in there, but just stand. We're not the first people that have had to do this. Israel stood for 70 years in Babylon. Hey, sing us some of those Israel songs. We were down by the waters, we wept. Right? Down by the waters of Babylon. They asked us to sing the songs of Israel. And they didn't want to. But for 70 years they stood and then they got returned back to the land. There are people, the Psalms, we see it all the time. David was anointed three times to be king. You know how long it took him to finally become king? All the resistance against him. But it produced a harvest of righteousness in him. And he was the greatest king Israel ever had. So one of the dangers of productivity is that there is an enemy who wants to curse your productivity. Remember in the beginning I told you how the curse comes against productivity? It came against the fruitfulness of the woman and it came against the fruitfulness of man's toil with the ground. The enemy wants to kill what you are trying to produce. And we're to be a productive people. And he does it by making us weary. So what did God do? He said, you rest. Six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day you shall what? Rest. And you'll spend that time with me. Why? So you don't grow weary in well-doing, and you get rejuvenated. But some of us get so caught up in our work, so caught up in, I'm the only one who can do it right, And I, I've got to pick up their slack, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I can't trust it to someone else, and da, 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 right? And so we've got to be careful with this. We've got to guard our productivity. Could I encourage you that in your fruitfulness, in this stage of your Christian life, to rest, to rest, to know the rest of God. To know that rest of God. Let me tell you a really quick story that goes with this, okay? Uh, I had just gotten into General Motors as a, a clay modeler, sculptor, and um, I was worried about my six-month assessment, and so I was working really hard. Other guys were taking breaks. I wouldn't take breaks. Other guys would take long lunch hours. I wouldn't take long lunch hours. And I'd stay there working and this and that. So then it came time for my six-month review. And when I got to that review, I thought, okay, I worked really, really hard. And the guy said, you're doing great work. And I said, yeah, all right. 
right, thank God I got a job. I'm keeping my job. And he said, but I have one problem with you. What's that? And he says, you don't take enough coffee breaks. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're not taking enough breaks. He said, I want you to take longer lunch breaks and more coffee breaks. Well, I'm not going to argue, but I don't get it. He said, you've got your face in the work too much. You can't see what needs to be seen. You're laboring so much, you have to back away and see the bigger picture and think about it and be creative to solve your problems. In other words, rest. Rest your eyes from what you're trying to accomplish. Rest your labors from what you're trying to accomplish. There is a rhythm to life. And if we are always productive and making things work in our timing, we're going to grow weary and want to give up on the harvest. There are sometimes you need to have a good rhythm of rest and work because in the rest times, creativity begins to flow. You begin to see with different eyes. Step away from the problems and get a new perspective from God. That's uh, some advice for this stage of your Christian walk of wanting to do and serve God. Now, last off, works righteousness. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which have been done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Works righteousness. That's Phariseeism. And it's the sense that I am getting in better with God because I do this, 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 and this. I volunteer for that. I'm on this committee. I have produced that. I've called these many things, and I've done this, and I've done that. And we think that we are made righteous because of all the good works we've done. It has nothing to do with your righteousness. Your righteousness is a free gift from God. But because you're saved and in right relationship with God, these good works flow out of you. That's why you can take a rest, because they flow from God, not you. Get that balance. Get that balance. Every time through the whole Christian walk and your growth stages, you need balance. There is not a works righteousness in Scripture. Works righteousness teaches that some sin will not be judged. In other words, let me explain this to you. Christianity is the only religion that says you cannot earn righteousness. Buddhism, Confucianism, Islam, all of them say you do the best you can do at your righteousness and maybe God will save you. God put an end to that and said there's none righteous, no, not one of you. Any righteousness you have, you received from Christ Jesus. Because let me, let me show you something. If you're saved because, and most of the world thinks this way, go out there and ask them, are you going to go to heaven? Well, I think so. Why? I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't raped anyone. I didn't commit adultery, and I haven't stolen, and sometimes I lie, but the majority of good things outweigh the majority of bad things. Most people think that way. Now, let me tell you something. If you're righteous 25% of the time, well, yeah, that's not fair. That's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. All right, what if you're righteous 50% of the time? Well, that's not good because you're equally bad and equally good. 
that cancels each other out. That's not going to get you to heaven. What if I'm 51% good, 49% bad? Ah, now you've got a chance. And there are religions that have that sense. If your good outweighs the bad, then, hey, you've got a chance. What if you're 75% righteous? God will forgive the 25%. Isn't he a forgiving God? God is not forgiving of sin. I'm going to say that again. God is not forgiving of sin. Why do I say that? How can I say that? Because he judged sin on the cross on Jesus Christ. He judged all sin. He did not let one sin go by. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand? He forgave you, but he judged your sin. Oh, hello, this is big. Did somebody get this? Are you getting this? See, we always say he forgave me of my sins. He forgave me of my sins. He didn't forgive you of your sins. Your sin cost him everything. He forgave you. But he didn't forgive your sins in the sense that he paid for your sins. Oh, get this. I don't want anyone walking out of here saying, Pastor Tim says my sins are not forgiven. (laughs) Your sins were paid for. Do you get the difference of this? Our sins cost Jesus his life. It was paid by every drop of his blood. Sin was accounted for and paid for. We were forgiven because Jesus paid for every sin we've committed. That means that if I live a righteous life, maybe I'm some monk in a solitary place, never come in contact with anyone, never had a wrong thought, this is impossible, by the way, and and 99% was good and only 1% sin in my life, is that good enough to get to heaven? No. Well, wouldn't God forgive it? No, because God is perfectly righteous. And if he would let 1% sin pass on his judgment, he would be unrighteous. So there is no sin that has ever come or passed from the judgment of God. He judged every and all sin. And it cost him the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. You and I are forgiven, but our sin was paid for you get this wow i'm just getting it (laughs) that's powerful so christianity is the only religion that understands that and that's where the devil has deceived many and so what you have to be careful of is this there's no work you can do for any sense of your own righteousness It's by the grace of God you and I are saved. And in the end, all of our productivity, it's a pleasure to participate in the Spirit of God, to know that I am being His workmanship, that His love is flowing through me. Really? (laughs) His peace flowing through me. His joy flowing through me. Now, I'm a faulty instrument, but he can play a beautiful tune with my life. And in the end, I love this in Revelation 4.10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him 
who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Crowns given to us by Christ. Our crowns. Anything that we have received from our labors belong to Him. And we will all throw our crowns at His feet saying, You alone are worthy of all glory. For no flesh will glory in His sight. But He gives us the privilege to be fruit bearers of His nature. Praise God. Let's bow our heads.